Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And Alice, guess what? What? We are back from what was really an amazing month for the podcast. Yeah, we did some amazing things, new things for this podcast. We spent the last the last three episodes of this podcast have all been interviews with the amazing folks over at PGAB Destinations. And we, we cannot thank them enough for coming on the show, spending time talking to us about uh, themed attractions, uh, animal attractions, and all of the great information that we ended up getting. I, I mean, it was a perspective that I never would have expected to get. Uh, just by like existing as a podcast, right? So it was an incredible honor. It was it was really wonderful. We learned so much and got to meet so many cool people. I want to spend uh, send a special thanks over to uh, to Ben who uh, or- organized um, all of the interview schedules and everything. It was really just a delightful experience. We can't can't wait to talk to them some more. Hopefully in the future. But uh, buddy, we're back to a regular old episode of Those Happy Places. Yeah. Just- this plain old regular episode of those ha- wait alice do you hear that what it sounds like it's november <gasps> november and it's in, finally in november. november and that means that for those happy places it's Waterworld month it's Waterworld month i'm so excited we've been planning Waterworld month for for weeks now and we're just <laughs> we are thrilled to bring this to you our dear listeners. This is the month dedicated to the legacy of the 1995 hit film Waterworld uh, as it exists at the Universal Studios theme parks, Um, which is in a really interesting form because it has been at the parks in some way since the year 1995. Since the year the movie came out. Similarly, yeah. we talked about this in our episode about Jurassic Park. Um, in a similar vein, uh, Waterworld's presence at Universal Studios Hollywood uh, was planned and designed while the film was still being made. That's that's incredible. And actually kind of explains a little bit of what happened with the attraction. The attraction that we often call colloquially the Waterworld stunt show or the Waterworld wet and smoky stunt show. <laughs> That's uh, our personal favorite. Right. And and you know what? That title actually came from another universal attraction. It came from the Simpsons ride where they go through a wet and smoky stunt show that is clearly supposed uh, to be Waterworld. <laughs> oh, so we've adopted that from the Simpsons joke. Got yeah, it. That self-parody within <laughs> I, its own park. <laughs> I don't think I realized that that's what we were doing. That's <laughs> It just kind of appeared in my brain, I thought. But all yeah. right. <laughs> so, so anyways, the Waterworld Wet and Smoky Stunt Show, it's, it's original title. It's full title as it displays itself on, I guess, the billboard out front of it is Waterworld, colon, a live sea war spectacular. Wow, what what a mouthful. A sea war. <laughs> sea war. And it doesn't, I mean, at first glance, I, I wouldn't think that that describes a lot. Like sea war, what does that mean? But when you sit down to watch the show, and it is a show, this is not a ride. No. This is a show. Yeah. Um, a sea war pretty 
pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a war at sea. Uh, to be fair, the entire world is at sea in the world of Waterworld. Waterworld. It's in the title <laughs> again. Um, so Waterworld, the film uh, it released in 1995, starring Kevin Costner, is uh, about a, a world where the polar ice caps have melted and therefore all of dry land is covered uh, by water. Ah, Alice, not all of dry land. There is one place left, the mythical dryland. (laughs) Dry land, which Uh, is uh, the top of Mount Everest, which is the only part of the planet that is still above water. Um, And so in the the movie, this is further explored in the world building and the the lore. But when you... um, when you, you go to the show, you walk in to the theater and it is just a big, uh, basically just a giant swimming pool structure with a lot of set pieces uh, around it. And you kind of just sit there and they, they don't do a lot of explaining out front uh, or before you sit down. So if you've never even heard of the film Waterworld, you might be a, a little confused. Yeah, I know I was the first time I saw it. I didn't know it was a film until after well, I had seen it for the first time. Well, Alice, we do get some really choice narration. Uh, we get told that it is the future and the polar ice caps have melted. And then there's like a little bit more about like who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Yeah, you you find out that the floating fortress, uh, which is apparently what you're looking at, it's pretty much just like a big wall and then there's water uh, face on your side of the big wall. And it's kind of meant to, to feel like you are inside the fortress. So you know right. what side you are on. Right. Uh, and the floating fortress is called an atoll. And um, and so, and, and, and you get like a, a brief line about, um, uh, about the search for dry land and right. how that's a, a thing that everybody lives on water and, uh, and everybody wants to find dry land. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a clear motivation for everyone involved, right? Dryland is good. We want it. Uh, we, and, we miss it. <laughs> and we, we're going to find it someday. Uh, so the whole show opens with the finding of Dryland. Yeah. Um, our, our main protagonist, Helen, who appeared in the film... Uh, but in a very different kind of character presentation. In this, she's like a very self-sufficient lady of action. Um, in the movie, she's like a damsel in distress most of the time. Got it. I uh, haven't seen the film still <laughs> all well, these we'll years get, later. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, so uh, Helen comes in and she's like, I found Dryland, everybody. And she she's on her boat, which is another really cool thing about this show is that like there are lots of boats and jet skis and an entire actual plane and we'll, we'll get we'll get to the plane we'll get to the plane but like this is a real boat that she like motors in on this that's is, actually yeah. motoring away like on this little lagoon that you're looking at yeah none of this is like animatronics or like um on a track or anything it is she is driving an actual like tiny motorboat that has been uh fitted with the kind of steampunk um 
like look more like, of like the water thing. punk then water- <laughs> <laughs> it's like water punk look of the uh, of the universe this lived in universe and everybody's got like ripped up clothes and fingerless gloves and you kind of got this this yeah this kind of punky aesthetic to it and she, she's driving this itty bitty little motorboat that she actually drives like all of these stunts are live and um and and none of this is is um none of this is like structured in, in in a way that it really does feel like at any point something could go very wrong <laughs> i have seen the Waterworld show i've sat through part of the Waterworld show where one of the jet skis just broke in the middle of the in the middle of one of the stunts oh you know what i think i might have been at that show with you because they, they just, canceled the show early it just stopped working and the guy was kind of like thrown from the jet ski that it didn't seem like uh, very forcefully, no. but it, it seemed to have done enough, um, enough damage, not, not to the person, but maybe to the, to the set or to the jet ski that they had to say, sorry, folks, like, uh, that's the end of the show. Thanks for coming. Yeah. And, it, it did seem like it, it at least broke the sequence, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so and there's so much um, that rides on this show going exactly right. So much safety and so much. There's pyrotechnics and there's fireworks and there's um, a, a stunt guy that gets get puts on one of those cool suits that gets to light on fire and then he falls like 50 feet into the water. That if awesome. if one if one part of the sequence messes up or goes wrong they have they stop it they they say all right that's you know that's enough they they, i feel like they have contingency plans for for parts of the show but if you lose a a boat they you know that's that's it for the for for the day (laughs) yeah they must stop because everything is happening in real time live to real people actual stunt performers um and and actually i was doing a little bit of reading and it turns out that Waterworld. A live sea war spectacular is <laughs> the starting point for a lot of stunt people in Hollywood. Like this is where a lot of people go to kind of earn their chops. Yeah. And eventually they move on to like bigger uh, things in the industry. But like Waterworld is a great place to start. And since this is a show that has been running for 24 years, there's like alumni of this that are like longtime veterans of the stunt industry who run their own companies, like who are known throughout the industry that work with major stars because they started on Waterworld. Right. It's it really is amazing to to see they they all get their headshots put up outside the uh, the theater and everything. It's it's a a really intensive place. Uh, and all of the stunt, there's so many different stunts. You get to work with vehicles, there's zip lines, there's stage fighting, there's fire, there's water. There's anything that you can imagine as a stunt person coming up against and all of them do all of it through the whole show. I, they are the truest professionals. It doesn't surprise me at all that they move on to do this for, for film and theater. Alice, did you say that, that there's water in the water world like the uh, war spectacular yes you know what i did because it's <laughs> not just look we're got boats on top of our water but they they swim they shoot water cannons at each other they dive from very high uh places into the water uh, it's um it, and water it's a really really dangerous thing to mess with and they do it at sometimes up to 10 shows a day 
Yeah, at peak season, it's a 10 show a day cycle. Uh, I, I found out in my reading also that these stunt performers are only allowed to do 20 shows a week, which sounds like simultaneously, oh, that's not so many. And also, oh, man, that's a lot. <laughs> Go, for what they ha- put their bodies through in one show, I 20 shows a week sounds uh, like a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's As- a 16-minute runtime. That's a lot. That's a lot of work. And a lot of people work really hard on that show. And it personally is one of my all time favorite things to do at Universal Studios. So <laughs> to to kind of cycle back into the summary that we were working our way through, because we want to talk about all the cool stunts, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, Helen boats into the arena. She proclaims to the Atollers that she's found dry land. But not long after... Uh, an entire gang of smokers attacks the atoll. Yes, and they are our very clear bad guys. Oh, You've got very the deacon. Bad. The deacon is in charge, and he is a classic mustache twirling, like melodrama villain. He's got an eye patch uh, because the 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 mariner plucked out his eye. We'll get to the mariner too. We'll get to the mariner. But he's got a, he gets an eye patch, and he wears like a cool red jacket. He's got kind of like a like a, a what, water punk Captain Hook kind of look about him. Um, water punk. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they drive these these boats that are that are got this big like diesel smell to them, and they are they are our bad guys. They swoop in, the music gets intense, and and they're chasing our girl Helen um, because they hear she found dry land, and they want to take her hostage. So she leads them to the dry land. Um, so that the deacon can take over the only dry land left on the entire planet and turn it into a golf course. He yep. wants to turn it into a golf he, course. He is he is uh, pretty pretty uh, attached to the sport of golf. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's a there's a gag uh, a sight gag in there where they uh, put the golf ball where his eye used to be and and throw it in the water. It's very funny. Um, and but it's a it's a classic villain kind of idea i'm going to take this land that could help people and i'm going to turn it into a spot for recreation and for making money he is our our capitalist um like villain in our uh in our post-apocalyptic society yeah it's a a kind of a a kind of old white dude who likes to pollute the air with a lot of you know gasoline and who also happens to want to own a lot of golf courses and <laughs> is in charge of a lot of bad guys. That doesn't sound relevant to me at all. This 1995 no. stuff has not aged well. <laughs> no, no, none of this is relevant. Uh, no, not in the slightest. <laughs> so uh, the Deacon then make, he makes his appearance on a very cool fan boat um, and rolls in and... They start wreaking havoc on on uh, our poor atollers. Uh, and... Their main method of uh, fighting back is to spray water at, at from cannons or hoses yeah, it, at the bad guys, which which does a it does a pretty good job of knocking some of them off their little jet well, skis. Listen, Alice, but if for you're the most jet part... skiing and water skiing behind a jet ski, and like that's what you do to be scary. Like, don't be surprised when some water flies in your face and it knocks you off. That's all I'm gonna say. Like, <laughs> <laughs> water skiing, 
They water ski behind a jet ski into a in a swimming pool, basically, in front of two thousand people, <laughs> and it's so, it so cool. They launch him off of ramps. They, uh, it's just, it's so awesome. And um, and that that's when right right about when the Mariners got Helen, and he's like, all right, I'm gonna win. That's when our hero, the Mariner, shows up. And the Mariner, played by Kevin Costner in the film, um, is half fish, half man. <laughs> he is a mutant. He does have gills and can swim very fast. <laughs> yes. And he, he comes in and he helps uh, take out some of the bad guys and he helps the Atollers and Helen, his girl, um, you know, drive, drive, the bad, drive the bad guys away. Um, but not without a lot of stage fighting and a lot of throwing people from high places into water, and it's uh, and a and a cool zipline. Um, oh, very cool zipline sequence. <laughs> and it's 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 really it's really cool. You don't get a lot of background about the Mariner, uh, except for the Deacon making a couple of uh, a fish stick jokes and uh, and you know. Uh, weird innuendos about him and Helen's relationship. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind of gross, but... <laughs> you know, it's fine. Um, <laughs> and um, and by by the end of the story, so there's a, a lot of fighting, and by the end of the story, um, the the deacon accidentally catches fire, and a, a, a man in a, in a snug suit caught fully on fire falls over 50 feet from the very top of the set into the into the pool yeah and that's probably the that is like the big um like person stunt of the show like that is um they they call that guy out in in the curtain call right uh, and the man who did the 50 foot on fire drop is and they name him specifically right. because, as because our, our face actor for the deacon uh ducks behind something and then comes back out on fire and that's when they do the switch and of the guy who is trained to be on right, fire. This one very specific stunt guy does the fire drop. Uh, and, and one thing that's so cool, Alice, you're talking about the 50 foot drop and all of that. Like when you listeners, if you've never seen this stage before, it is a series of towers separated by water with like a central platform. There's like a lot of verticality here. There's a lot of ladders, a lot of levels and zip lines and just a lot going on. Uh, and it leads to some really cool fight choreography along the way. It does, and this this drop being one of one of the uh, the the attractions of the whole thing. Um, but it is not the um, the biggest. It's not the biggest stunt of the day. No. Uh, the biggest stunt of the day is accomplished uh, by an airplane, by a seaplane, an actual uh, plane, an actual seaplane uh, that is catapulted from behind the set over the wall and lands uh, in the water in front of the audience, splashing everybody in the audience with a, with a huge wave. And, and it's on fire. And it is on fire and fireworks shoot out from the, from the top of the set. It's a lot. And it's a lot. It's a lot. And it is extremely awesome. Now, Alice, go ahead. I know you know the answer to this, but I, I just like answering this question. Ask me if it's um, on rails or on a wire or something. Hey buddy, uh, so how do they accomplish the uh, the uh, plane stunt? Is it on rails or on a wire or something? Well, actually, Alice, it's neither of those things. This plane actually gets thrown over the wall on a bungee cord type 
catapult system and then on its own freely lands in the pool because of an innovative negative lift wing design that makes the plane drop at just such an angle. Can you believe it? Is- it is a miracle of design and technology and they pull it off so beautifully 10 times a day they fling a plane at an audience and it goes right (laughs) every time yeah it does it lands right in the water huge splash big applause and uh that's our big climax to the show afterwards the you know the deacon is defeated and and the narrator voice comes back and is like you know, we don't know how the future will go for these, but they will keep fighting for dry land and for the freedom of all people. Uh, the end. Water world. And then they, the water world. And then they do, uh, they do a curtain call where every actor in the show gets to come out and take a bow, uh, and uh, and they they just and they stand there and wave goodbye. They 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 just stay there, and you can go up to them after, and and talk to them or thank them or. I mean, I mean, they the they have actors that just walk around during the pre-show, um, throwing buckets of water at children. And, welcome to um, Water World. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Water World. And they, you know, they they take, um, you know, squirt guns and 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 get the they get the crowd fired up. Yeah, and these are a lot these are a pre-show priming done by these guys. And they're, but they're not uh, just like pre-show people. These are uh, professional stuntmen who just, you know, get to walk around and have fun with uh, with the audience at the same time. And it, part of that, I think that the pre-show part and the the curtain call and uh, the headshots on the wall and everything turn the show into. It's not just here. Look at how. Uh, you know, look at this show, this story that we're trying to tell you, and it turns it into a true like Hollywood experience, which is something that Universal Studios is really good at. Um, they went with the backlot tours and the old um, special effects, um, like walkthrough show they used to do, and museums that they've set up. Like Universal Studios is, um, at least in in Hollywood, California, is really uh, takes good care to show you, the audience, how movies are made and how stunts are accomplished. And they they acknowledge their actors. And, um, and I think that's really cool and unique and, and a part of the storytelling of the park itself that um, I don't think any other, any other park could really pull off. Yeah, I agree, but I also kind of disagree. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, Sure. (laughs) This is one of the coolest things about the show is the way that it calls out the actors. It calls out the artificiality of it all. It really makes it feel like a real stage production that that is so much higher quality than just your average uh, theme park 10 times a day show, right? Like the quality is in these little things that they do to call it out to the audience that like, these are real people doing these really great stunts and you, you gotta appreciate that, okay, everyone? And everybody goes, yes, we will. And I think that's part of why we like it too. But I think one really cool thing that they're doing with this show that they sometimes don't do with their other attractions is they take great care to make it like a really seamless narrative attraction 
where it tells a very okay, yeah. story without going like, and this is how we do stunt plane tricks in the movie industry. Like, uh, no, they let you're right. You know, you are right. They let you sit through the whole narrative and then say, and this is how we did it. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's um, the prestige. It's the prestige. <laughs> it is. You're right. You're absolutely right. It is. Um, yes, and that is maybe why it uh, has lasted as long as it has in a theme park like Universal Studios, which is kind of. It's a little, it's notorious for holding on to things, to attractions, maybe, uh, and IPs, maybe longer than they should. Um, Well past um, how long people care about the franchise. Um, Like, it's still holding on really, really, really strongly to Peter Jackson's King Kong. That's true. uh, (laughs) Just in general throughout the park, where... People, it was a phenomenon when it came out, but is has largely been forgotten in the, um, gosh, fifteen years since it was released. It was two thousand five. Yeah, so the it's the nearly fifteen, 15 years. years since the King Kong movie came out, and people don't really talk about it anymore. But uh, Universal Studios holds on to it really tightly, and that can be detrimental, I think, in the case of King Kong. Um, but for some reason, for Waterworld which came out much longer ago than King Kong. 24 um, years. 24 years ago. This January. Jesus. It's still going really strong and still draws full house audiences. People who wait literally an hour plus in line for good seats to see this show. Overwhelmingly, what I hear from people about this show is it's great. It's so much more than the IP that it represents, and they don't want it to leave. Yeah, nobody wants it to leave. Universal doesn't want it to leave so much so that they've gone ahead and installed the same show in two other of their theme parks. In uh, in Japan and in Singapore, they have um, the Waterworld Sea War Spectacular. Yeah. And And they're going to put one in in Beijing when they finish building there. The Japan location opened in 2001, the Singapore opened in 2010, and Beijing will open in 2021 with, get this, Alice, an entire Waterworld zone, apparently. (laughs) See, I can't decide if that's going to be awesome or if it's going to be too much, if they've uh, gotten too too enthusiastic about this. Because I think part of the joy of this show is yes, is, of course, it's extremely complex and difficult to pull off, but it's also very simple. You've got your good guy, you've got your bad guy, you've got your basic idea of if the polar ice caps melted, we're all underwater, everyone just accepts that and goes, yeah, sure, that sounds right. Even though we know that's not right. <laughs> it's not right. Little research will will show you that while a lo- if the polar ice got to melt entirely, we will lose a lot of land. We will not lose all of it. All land. <laughs> um, and even the screenwriter acknowledges that to be true. Uh, I was reading an article, uh, an interview with uh, one of the screenwriters for the, one of the many screenwriters that worked on the film, um, who uh, his name is um, Peter Rader. Yeah, Peter Rader, uh, the screen one of the screenwriters for Waterworld, um, who acknowledges, yes, my science was a little off. I just thought it would be fun, and then also is active on like 
the United Nations Council on Climate Change and is, uh, is I don't know if it's because he wrote Waterworld or if it's just because it's become a passion of his, but he uh, it talks about climate change and he talks about how like this is a thing, maybe not Waterworld itself could happen, but there are some genuine uh, things to worry about in a world where we lose a lot of land and we lose a lot of um, space. And um, but that's straightforward and understandable and something that audiences can go, you know, I, yeah, a floating fortress in uh, in a world where there is no land and um, dry land becomes uh, like really important resource. And there's a bad guy wants to use capitalism to take it over. I get it. I understand. It's so simple. <laughs> it's and so simple. It really but it's is. Told in, it's told with you know with the addition of the the complexity comes from the stunts and from the you know the action and how and that combination of those two things I think is really um, it's really compelling to audiences. Yeah, I agree. I think because Alice, you you have not seen the movie. I have not. The movie's just a little bit more complicated than that in terms of like who is good, who is bad, how they fight, and what dry land means. Uh, and I think that where the stage show excels is in taking these component parts that are maybe kind of hard to relate to. Like in the movie, the Mariner is kind of a weirdo who lives alone and is kind of a reluctant hero and who drinks his own pee. Uh, and, and the stage show takes pains to be like, and maybe it doesn't even take pains. It just, it doesn't have time for that, right? So it's no. just like, what if there were a fish man that was a hero? Bada bing, boom. Like, it's that easy. And sometimes I think with movies and books and video games, we get really caught up in like, oh, we've got all this time and space. We can tell whatever kind of story we want. But I think something that's important to know is that simple stories about good people fighting bad people resonates really strongly with audiences. It does. It's it give, give an audience, and especially an audience that's going to be pretty much guaranteed to have mostly children in the audience because it's a theme park and it's a family-friendly place. You give the children, as well as the adults, a, a, a basic story and clearly defined morals and values. And, you, and, and you've got a winner, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the story would suffer from any additions. I really just like a mustache-twirling villain who takes a hostage and is like, come get me now, good guy. And then the good guy's like, I will. And then they fight. <laughs> and the good guy, the, the Mariner, has one line, I think. I think his only uh, spoken line is to ask Helen if she's all right. Helen has quite a few spoken lines, and the Deacon has a lot of spoken lines. Helen he gets a lot the microphone. Of this, a lot of the show going like, Mariner, watch yeah. out. <laughs> But she gets to come in and be like, I found I found the dry land. I did this. Yeah. I I I succeeded at something people have been trying to do for who knows how long. And the, the but the deacon as the mustache twirling villain, and this is classic melodrama technique. Um we've done melodrama before, buddy. Yeah. Um where you can you can put your guy in the middle and he gets to be villainous and funny 
and he interacts with the audience and if people boo him he encourages it he's like yeah go ahead boo me and and um you know he he gets to be that guy who helps keep the audience engaged and that it it's theater tropes as old as theater itself yeah that just work yeah time and time again the deacon is definitely the star of the show I mean, they talk about him until he shows up, and then when he dies, the show ends because there's nothing left to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he gets suspended um, in dead center, middle of the stage, cracking jokes and commenting on as people are doing stunts. He goes, he's like, oh, no, why'd you fall? No, oh, no. come on, get back up again. My, my minions are dying. <laughs> Yeah, he he gets to provide like a running sports commentary about the stunts, yeah. and um, and that makes him viral, fun, and interesting as a as a villain. But he's still your villain, definitely. And, and we still and, we still enjoy watching him eventually lose. Yes, falling fifty feet from uh, on fire from a tower, <laughs> into, which into is so a good. Gas tank that then explodes. It's pretty great. It's very very good. Uh, so that's that's the narrative reason that I think that this has stuck around for so long. But I think there's like one more layer, uh, and I, I wanna I wanna say something before I jump into this. Go ahead. The attraction that Waterworld Alive Sea War Spectacular replaced in 1995 <laughs> was the Miami Vice Action Spectacular Spectra Blast. Wow. And yeah, wow, right? That's a lot. Spectra Blast. <laughs> In 1995, Miami Vice must have felt so old. It must have. And it it dates itself visually pretty powerfully, yeah. I think. Miami Vice has um, a really strong visual aesthetic of uh, shoulder pads and white sports coats and, and long and boats. Bright pink bright pink like button-up shirts yeah and, uh and <laughs> Waterworld must have felt like a huge huge modernization uh and for some reason Waterworld in 24 years has not gotten visually old no and maybe it's because it takes place like post-apocalyptic this is not a time period that we can place specifically um and that's that lets like the fashion and the things they wear stay um you know you you don't have to adjust any of that at all um but also i think it's because the 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 context of how they got there has only gotten more real to a lot of people yeah, I mean, we were hinting at that a little bit earlier when we were describing the Deacon and his plan, but Waterworld is an admittedly outlandish concept uh, that could never really happen, but the very real effects of climate change and the bad dudes who don't care if it happens have only gained more of the spotlight since 1995. Right. And uh, and instead of being kind of a fringe or um, or like specialized piece of knowledge about climate change, it is now in everyone's phones and on a, a lot of people's minds and is a 
a real concern for millions of people. And that, I think, helps the plot of the story stay, the, the plot and the idea of the story stay relevant unfortunately <laughs> yeah it's it's a uh, really bad reason for a theme park attraction to stay relevant and yet 24 years is a long time for a show to stay relevant so good on you Waterworld, and only Waterworld, i guess good job Waterworld, and i guess thank you to i suppose the screenwriters and and the people who came up with it who who out loud admit that they were trying to do a ripoff of mad max but on water <laughs> somehow found a a piece of culture that that stuck around and um and and stays like relevant and on people's minds a lot so whether you know you're not going to walk away from the water world sea war spectacular um uh, live going, sea war spectacular live sea, sea war spectacular going wow i really understood that climate message but <laughs> Uh, you will walk away from it going, wow, what a neat show. Um, and now, now this it's on the brain. And, and then when confronted later with at home with the idea of rising sea levels, you might think, Oh, like what water about water world? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving it too much credit. Um, I because it is at the end of the day, just like a really fun, like we said, very simple story about good and bad and water. Um, but maybe it's, um, maybe, maybe it's uh, tapped into some part of us that worries about those things. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I look at the aesthetic of Waterworld and I mean, like also the, just the general post-apocalypticness of it, it still feels very modern because those stories haven't gone away at all. Um, yeah. I mean, Mad Max Fury Road was an amazing revival of that basically same aesthetic, right? Like yeah. a bunch of sheet metal cobbled together, fighting over gasoline. Like it's the same idea. Uh, when I see the Waterworld stunt show, I kind of think about Firefly and uh, technology that isn't quite working anymore, even though it's the future and a lot of uh, like just beat up oh, yeah. old stuff on the raggedy no, I mean, edge, you know? And you're right. And similar in similar to Firefly, when you take away that kind of technology or when you, you have places, it's the future and we should have this technology, but instead we rely on regular old, uh, you know, regular old things that have stood the test of time. You know what you get is a Western. Yeah. <laughs> You end up in a in, in a Western genre, and that melodrama of a mustache twirling villain also starts started in a Western genre, didn't it? Yeah, a little. Yeah, um, I mean, like, what is Waterworld is actually secretly Waterworld's actually secretly a Western, <laughs> and um, and we didn't know it. What What is a mustache twirling villain uh, if not someone who will tie you to train tracks, right? Like Exactly. We need train tracks in order for the mustache twirling villain to work. <laughs> so, so I think that's kind of it too, is that where the film of Waterworld is this weird water punk society where the world ended in 1995 and now everybody rides stand-up jet skis everywhere uh like show water world 
Universal Studios Hollywood Waterworld, the live Sea War Spectacular, uh, <laughs> gets away with being a little bit more timeless because of its simplicity. And uh, it doesn't have to be ham-fisted or weird or a passion project of one actor who's maybe gotten a little too big for his own good. Uh, it can just be Waterworld, like a cool setting with like bad guys and good guys fighting. And I think that's what makes it something that I would rather watch than almost any other show at Universal Studios Hollywood. I'm going to go ahead and put my foot down and say any show at Universal Studios Hollywood. Well, now that T2 3D uh, has closed, yes, any show. <laughs> yes, it was, a, it was a, a tie, I think, when T2 3D was a thing. And we can talk about that on a different episode. Um, but yeah, now that that's gone, Waterworld is, I mean, and even when it was there, Waterworld is the like preeminent show of Universal Studios. It, it's... Um, it's famous outside of the theme park world for, and, and I, I think a lot of that, it, it'll be famous in other circles, like film studies circles for taking a, a universally known flop of a film and turning it into something magical. And it's famous, you know, among families can take their kids there and it's fun. Like the kids will remember, oh, I, somebody threw a bucket of water on me. It was awesome. <laughs> And there was a plane. It was very cool, you know, and it, it's just so forgive, forgive the word. It's so universal ah. to so many different experiences. Um, and uh, yeah, I just really like the show. I really like the show. And, and I can't overstate how important it is that it's all like real stuff that happens and like a real explosion and a real plane and real people. And I think that's rare in theme parks lately. And that's another thing that keeps it fresh for me is that like, this is a, a really great cast with great props and a great set doing a great show 10 times a day without the aid of much technology outside of these props and explosions and stuff. Like it makes it feel so much more real. And I, I love that about it. Yeah, I agree. Well, Alice, it sounds like our conversation about Waterworld, a live sea war spectacular, has come to an end. Uh, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Of course, we always want to hear from you. But we want to hear from you specifically about your experience with Waterworld. We want to talk about how if you've seen the show and your thoughts about the show. If the film is a particular favorite of yours and you don't understand why people don't like it, I want to hear about that. Um, you should send us all of your Waterworld thoughts and opinions uh, to us at various places on the internet. On the internet? On the internet. The very first place that you should head to right away, if you are on Twitter.com, you can find the show at Happy Places Pod. Um, and you can find me personally at Alice White THP for those happy places. And I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Remember, Duquesne is spelled. D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. We are available on Twitter 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We oh, have Alistair. Twitter addiction problems. We or maybe that's just me. Sleep. I sleep. Uh... I sleep occasionally, but 
Uh, mostly I'm on twitter.com. You can find me there. Uh, you can also shoot us an email at thosehappyplaces at gmail.com. Send us a five paragraph essay on why you love the movie Waterworld. We will read it. <laughs> we will. And we'll enjoy it. And we might even read parts of it if it's five paragraphs. I think parts of it would be fair. <laughs> on on the next episode so we'd be happy to include anything you want to send along yes please and if you want to engage with us further in in discussion about not just Waterworld, but uh anything really but um <laughs> we want to talk to you on our discord server yeah you can find links to the discord on our twitters uh on the show twitter or you can email us if you're not on twitter and we can send you a link to the discord server it's a great place to hang out with other fans of the show and people who love theme parks rides and attractions it's one of my favorite places on the internet though i might yes. be biased no we do have some wonderful listener engagement there on all topics so please join us there um and uh and if you like the show and you want to support us financially um you can do that on our patreon yeah it's that's uh, uh, patreon.com slash those happy places that's the one. Patreon.com slash those happy places. We have several tiers of uh, donations uh, at every budget level. Um, you can donate monthly or or just once if you like. Uh, and you can have access to our bonus mini episodes. Uh, we've got a couple of those on the docket coming up. I'm in the process of putting one together where I'm going to read the... I, I am, I'm almost done reading the Star Wars books that take place on Batu in Galaxy's Edge. And I'm going to talk about how those books compare to the theme park itself. So, and that'll be a mini sode only for Patreon. So if you want to hear that, head on over to patreon.com slash those happy places. Alice, I can't wait to hear that episode. That's going to be, a it's coming. Fun. It's coming. It's been, I've been promising it for a while, but it is coming. I, I swear. Uh, Alice, you know, while we're talking about Patreon, we should take this moment to thank one of our patrons, Charles Gustine, who is Charles? donating at the D ticket level. And so we get to thank him at the end of each episode. Charles is uh, just the coolest guy who has a very cool podcast of his own called Iconography, if you want to check that out. And uh, yeah, we can't thank him enough. Um, th thank you, Charles. You're the best. Now, Alice, I am going to add some music to this episode. Where would you have gotten said music, buddy? Well, I get all of my music from Kevin McLeod. Uh, his website is incompetech.com. He has thousands literally thousands of compositions that he makes available for free for other people to use as long as we say thank you to kevin at the end of the episode and mention that the track list is in the show notes it's all in the show notes as well as a link to uh his music which is very good there's also a link to uh our theme music yeah which is revving up right about now it's called <laughs> golden gate by the it, California Feet Warmers? Yeah, and it, it does feature Phil Elvin on that track. Oh, man, that's the best. Yeah, you can find this and many other tracks just like it at CaliforniaFeetWarmers.com. They are one of my favorite bands. I highly recommend them. Yes, big thanks to the California Feet Warmers and very, very big thanks to V Silverman for our amazing show art. They are amazing. Find them on Twitter and get some show art of your very own. I agree. Alice, thank you for doing this very excellent episode of the show with me. This is such a fun topic of conversation, and I uh, am very lucky to be able to do it with you, buddy. <laughs> uh, and to everyone out there, thank you for listening, and I hope you return to those happy places. 
I live in the sun. 